Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Ohio High School Hoops Around the State podcast. As always, your host, Kurt Stubbs, here with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, I hope everybody is doing well and staying safe uh, in these uncertain times. Um, kind of wild weekend for the Stubbses, um, our son Hudson. Turn one, not exactly how we planned on uh, celebrating his first year of life, but uh, we, we made do. We, uh, we got some Giannino's pizza, uh, got him a smash cake, which he didn't really care for too much. Um, but, you know, we, we did make the best of the situation, and uh, the, the real blessing is, is just uh, is having him here for the past year or so. Uh, that was kind of our weekend, but you know, one thing I was thinking about, and I said this uh, on a uh, Facebook post, is uh, it was a quote from Albert Einstein, and it was something along the lines of uh, adversity introduces himself uh, to a man. Uh, and, and how true is that, man? I, I've learned so much uh, in the last two plus weeks about myself. Uh, probably more so than I have in the last five to 10 years, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, adversity really tests uh, who you are at your core, uh, what you value, what you believe, uh, what you place your hope and your trust in. And uh, it really makes you, uh, is what you profess uh, really line up with uh, with your actions when adversity hits. But those are some things that I've been thinking about lately, and um, you know the days uh, seem to all kind of be the same. Uh, but uh, you know we are going to get through this, and hopefully these podcasts bring you some bit of um, distraction. So we're going to continue with our 25th anniversary show today, uh, and I am really excited about this one. Uh, this is a team that I've kind of been. Uh, really wanting to research more into for quite some time. Uh, it's a very uh, polarizing team, uh, and uh, th- this team went 27-0 and back in 1995, won the Division Four state championship. Uh, but before we do that, I want to give a huge thanks uh, to the work done by Eric Ritchie, uh, who is now a sports anchor, reporter, founder for Varsity Sports Now, also an Emmy winner. Uh, him and Christian Kane on their documentary, The Dream Season, they did for TV 47 uh, back in 95. It really was truly awesome stuff. Um, also to my main man, Dan, uh, one of the best sports fans in the state of Ohio. He sent me some photos from the 1995 state tournament program. Uh, in an addition, a column written by uh, my good friend John Cook, a story done by Jason Kaiser, or Jason Geyser, I'm sorry, uh, the sports director at WLIO-TV in Lima, and John Rawlings, who was formerly of there. Uh, they did a story on uh, Coach Steve Williman, uh, the Ohio High School Basketball Association's website for some great information, and, and finally to LB Eagles video for posting the state championship game against Springfield Central Catholic um, and uh, also uh, posting the Dream Season documentary on YouTube. Um, that state championship game was called by the great 
uh, Michael Ray guy and the late Bill Needle. Uh, so that was uh, a really cool uh, look back uh, from St. John Arena. So our guest that we're going to bring on today, uh, some of the younger listeners may not be as familiar, may have heard the name, but uh, you know anybody in probably their 30s or older uh, will remember this guy. Um, he is one of five players uh, from Ohio to win a state championship in boys basketball and an NCAA Division I title. Uh, he joins Jerry Lucas, Jawad Williams, Mike Phillips, and Kirk Taylor uh, on the list to do so. Uh, he entered East Lansing, uh, Michigan in 1996, uh, along with Mateen Cleves, David Thomas, and Jason Weber, where he would start his career under head coach Tom Izzo uh, for the Spartans. Uh, and what a career it would be, a four-year career there. Uh, his junior year, 1998-99, they lost to Duke in the Final Four. He had 14 points in 18 minutes to defeat the national champs, defending national champ Kentucky uh, there in the Elite Eight. Uh, that would allow them to go to their first Final Four since 1979. And then in 2000, uh, they finished 32-7 and following their 33-5 and the previous year. Uh, this would be this gentleman's senior year. They win the national championship. They beat Florida. Uh, he had 19 points against Syracuse, 18 against Iowa State, and 19 points and 9 rebounds against Florida national championship game at the RCA Dome uh, in Indianapolis. So today... We are going to bring on uh, Ohio legend, uh, and like I said, one of only five players to win a state championship in Ohio and an NCAA Division I title, Mr. A.J. Granger. You there? Yep. Okay, good, good, good. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here with former Finley Liberty Benton star, A.J. Granger. A.J., before uh, before I brought you on here, I was doing my intro, and I don't know if you'd know this or not. You, you may. Uh, I was mentioning the fact that you are one of only five individuals um, – since 1960 that won a state championship in Ohio boys basketball and a division one championship in uh, NCAA basketball. Did you know that? I had no idea. Who were the other four? Yeah, you are, are joined by uh, Jerry Lucas. Uh, Jerry actually won two state championships. He won a uh, college basketball championship at Ohio state, a gold medal in 1960 and an NBA title. So he had quite the career. Uh, also on that list is Jawad Williams, uh, Lakewood St. Ed's in North Carolina, Mike Phillips, uh, who played at Akron, Manchester and university of Kentucky. And the other member of that was Kirk Taylor, uh, Dayton Dunbar and the university of Michigan. So, okay. That's I, know two, I knew two of those names, I think. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. No, I, those are those facts that <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if anybody really cares about. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm glad to be in that company. Yeah, so me and a couple of buddies of mine killed about 
45 minutes the other night, I had him trying to guess who the, who the, uh, the other four were. Uh, you, have your, you have your own ESPN stat army to look things up for you. <laughs> I w- I'm a one-man show here. <laughs> so you, you uh, obviously, you know, you guys, you're on here to talk about the 94-95 the Liberty Benton team. Uh, but, you know, you, you go on to, to, to have a pretty uh, successful four years in, in East Lansing under Tom Izzo. Um, and I don't want to make this podcast about <laughs> Michigan State, but what was your what was your time like there? Obviously, you guys go to two Final Fours and win a national championship, but you know how did that kind of compare to your your time uh, at Liberty Benton? Yeah, there's there's so many ways we could go with that, right? Um, and I don't mind talking about that at all either. It's funny enough, I you know you you kind of reached out to me and said, hey, let's chat, and and so I immediately, you know, started doing a little bit of research because my ghost, it's been 25 years, right? Yeah. And one of our, uh, one of our high school assistant coaches posted several really bad VHS videos to YouTube. And <laughs> it's under LB Eagles video. If yes. Yes. Go look at it. But I was watching the dream season video and I, and all I could think to myself was, man, I was so immature and so young. And so, and, and so many of us were like, just to see, you know, I still keep in touch with some of these guys and just to talk to them now and, and the maturation that's a cure. And, and I think the connection here is, you know, as I went to college, you know, when you're, when you're 18 years old, 19 year old, years old, you feel like you're invincible to a certain degree and you know everything. And, and as I look back on that, I was like, boy, was I just walking into something that I would, I, at the time felt like I was prepared for, but I really don't know how well I was prepared for it. I don't know that anybody can be really truly prepared for a situation like that. But I, I mean, going into college, I, I mean, you think about things that nobody else thinks about, but when, when I was in high school at Liberty Bend, we were, our, our entire high school graduated, I believe 299 people in nine through 12. Your first day you show up on campus in college and you walk into a lecture hall and there's 600 people sitting in there. <laughs> and you know you're away from home it just and not to mention the, the physical activity I mean I, I felt like we you know coach Steve Willeman who was my high school coach at Liberty Bend did just an unbelievable job I think with the, the talent that he had and, and helping to prepare just through the intensity that he provided and the expectations that he set with me but nothing prepares you for the push that you get from a coach and, and I don't think it's really you know Tom Izzo or anybody else you you go to the collegiate level in any sport and you get pushed and challenged like you've never been challenged before <laughs> right and and I had I had some struggles while I was there I mean I my, my freshman year I actually started the last seven games of, of of the year just he was ready to move on to to the next the next generation and, and that was only his second year as a head coach when I was there and so I got an opportunity and then lo and behold that summer I come down with with mono and Andre Hudson love him to death but he took my starting job you know kind of away from and, I, and it was still mine to earn for, for obvious reasons but he went he went to Trotwood Madison down in down in Dayton and uh, you know, took took the starting job, and I didn't I didn't get it back until um, 
my senior year. So, I mean, I, I had a really, really struggled through my sophomore year. Was more of a six-man type player, which really helped me, you know, get back to that level of confidence. And then my senior year, I was a, a co-captain and, and a starter and really reached the point of, of contributing. But tying it back to watching the high school videos for a minute, it just, you know, you watch how I was running up and down the floor and the shots I was taking. And, you know, it's just like <laughs> you're so <laughs> – there's such a difference in maturation between even being a sophomore, junior in high school and when you reach a junior, junior, senior point in college, too. There, there's a huge difference between the growth curve that happens over that period of time. And I'd say Coach Izzo's style was really more one of trying to get the players to band together against him versus, you know, some of the other situations that you see out there. And it, it made that process maybe a little bit, bit easier, too. And, and even to this day, you know, we just had our 20-year uh, reunion up there this year um, for the Maryland game this year. And, and, and a lot of those guys, I think there was everybody but one player was back. And, you know, there's so many, so many, uh, I don't want to call them tragedies, but there's a couple tragedies on the team, not from a death perspective, but just lifestyle perspective. And then there's some, some incredible success stories. From, from some of those players on that team too, but it just was was interesting to get back with them. And that's the thing that I enjoy most. It wasn't just the guys that I played with during those years, but also the, the guys that you'd play with during the summer or interact with, you know, off, off season. And I mean, I, I had some, it's just amazing what you experience, right? So like, you know, going, I, I remember going into my senior year and being part of my senior year, Steve Smith, who plays in the NBA and is one of the, the premier Michigan State players of all time, decides to stop by practice. And I remember spending about an hour, hour and a half with him after after practice one night and him showing me just all the little little quirks of, you know, how to, how to manipulate somebody in the post and how to grab somebody at the right time and how to use your body to get a shot and get open. And, and, and I... I learned I learned probably more in that hour and a half than I learned in a year being there. And, right. You know, one summer I had to guard Mike Poplowski, who's one of the biggest human beings of all time. I mean, this guy's six eleven and played at probably four hundred pounds. But I, I, you know, he he was trying to make his third season in the NBA, and he was there for the entire season and or for the entire summer while we were working out. And, and so I had to guard a guy that was literally probably twice the size of me for most of the summer. And you, you learn how to, you learn how to manipulate things. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I played undersized in college. I played a power forward position and I was six, eight, six, nine. It probably played at probably 220 pounds. I think my playing weight was 222 actually. And man, we ran people to death, but I was going up against people every single day, not only in practice, but in games who had, you know, 30, 40, 50 pounds on me. And you, you have to learn how to, you know, I don't want to say play an untraditional game, but play an untraditional game to a certain degree, how to get away with things, how to, you know, how to position yourself in certain situations. Um, I mean, not to keep telling stories, maybe that's, oh, no, it's here, but, <laughs> absolutely. You know, I remember being in, we, I was working with Eric Snow. Eric Snow played with Sean Resper, and, and Eric Snow came back in the summer and was I, I was really in a one-on-one -on -one workout with him. And if I didn't set the screen literally to the inch of where he wanted me to set it at, he'd back it back out and say no, and he'd point, I want you there, right? Like, 
And you learn just through all those experiences that you, you obviously can't get in high school. I mean, you learn the technical side of the game and you learn how to exploit things and you learn how to survive. And I, I wasn't an all-star college player. I, I had to learn how to get the most out of what I was doing in order to be successful. And I think I reached the pinnacle of that by the time I had reached my senior year in college. Well, you went out um, in style, uh, in your final game in the uh, Spartan uniform, 19 points and nine rebounds there against Florida uh, in the RCA Dome for the national championship. Uh, how was that going out like that? It's always good to go out on a win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, I think Andy even, he says that in our, our TV 47 highlight video in the dream season. He says, you know, it's not many people get to go out on a win and, you know, it, that was, that was, how can you beat that? I don't know what else to say to that. It's, you know, people always ask what it was. Well, it must've been crazy playing in front of 50,000 people and this, that, and the other. you must've been nervous. And I, my answer is always, no, I really wasn't. You know, I was, I was anxious to play the game obviously and, and to get out there, but I, I don't, I, I really don't believe people understand in general as a fan or as a casual sports the amount of work that goes in you know not not in the right programs in high school but absolutely in college I mean you're in so much physical activity on a daily basis and you put in so much work I mean when I would go out and warm up for a game I I would take a manager out with me before the game and I'd be getting up 300 400 500 shots wow just just to feel good about you know the the muscle memory and the mechanics and that's just to that's not even to break a sweat before you go back in and actually sit down and come out and do your warm-ups right and so when you get to that point i guess the point is is when you get to that point where you're in front of all of these people playing this game it, it does become subconscious or muscle memory to a degree you you just go play the game there's anything else you can do at that point that you would have done differently or done anything else to prepare yourself for that moment in time. Right. So for me, it, it just, it was like any, other, I don't want to say it was like any other day, but you just, it, you become a robot at that point and, and you just go, you go do, you don't really think about, think about what you're doing. Trust your, trust your training and trust your preparation at that point. Uh, but before you, before you went off to East Lansing, you uh, you played for um, you mentioned earlier Steve Williman, uh, and, and Steve had a career record of five hundred and fifty one and two hundred and eight, uh, which is uh, exceptional. But it's even more exceptional when when you know how it started. Uh, Steve got his first head coaching job at, at Old Fort, with which was his alma mater. He graduated there from seventy five, where he played under. Uh, the late Steve Smith, who was also uh, at the state tournament in 95 with his Orville won. team and won, which is incredible. But uh, your coach started his career uh, at Old Fort at 0 and 11, uh, and he gets his first win. His first win happened to be over Liberty Benton. Uh, he went 22 and 42 at Old Fort and then 13 and 30 at Galleon. So he was 35 and 72. Uh, when Liberty Benton decides to hire him, uh, where he had been an assistant 
uh, before his job at Old Fort. He lost seven out of his first nine seasons. In his fourth year, he won six total games uh, before winning 21 in the next uh, in the next season. But these numbers after that, uh, starting with the first sectional title in 88, 24 sectional titles, 20 in a row, nine district titles, two regional titles, one state runner-up, one state title, 16 BVC titles, which included a 42-game winning streak, uh, in league play, and he had 15 20 win seasons. He retired after the 2013 14 season. He's a member of the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. And when you think about how it started for Coach Williman, I mean, I'm not sure he could have even predicted that after the, you know, the start. But, you know, and I think he's mentioned this a couple of times is the fact that they were patient with him, which, um, is not something a lot of places are now. Yeah. I think you can, there's obviously bad coaching situations and and bad coaches and and all that, but I think you can really, when you look at a situation, you can tell when someone's doing it the right way. And I think Steve was one of those guys. I mean, it was a different time at that time when he was going through what you're describing versus what it is today I think but you know you could see that the foundation was there he just needed to start the snowball or start the momentum and he'll even talk about there was I don't, I don't know exactly when the turning point was but he'll talk about there was a turning point to that and, and really what it is is you getting enough of enough buy-in I think from your players in your style and the way you want to do things to to start building that momentum and, and that's what he was really able to achieve. He was able to achieve building that momentum with some players or a core group of players. And in high school, you get the luxury of people not leaving early for the draft and stuff like that. But, you know, once he had that buy-in and people understood what, you know, the rinse and repeat process was going to look like for his program, it, it continued. And I don't want to say that's ultimately what caused him to retire. Everybody has a, a retiring point, but the game, the game changes over time. The game, the game is different now than it was when I played. And quite honestly, I don't enjoy watching it as much because I can't relate to it. Um, but, you know, I think he saw that, you know, there was a change coming too, and, and decided to, you know, decided to walk away. And his, his daughters got older and got married and he's spending more time with them. And there's all these other things. Right. But there was that, there was that change moment for him. And, and you could see it. And, and I was, you know, I, I saw I saw a statistic yesterday when I was looking at some information. I think where he was maybe five, four or five years in that building period, and then and then really that next five years. And I was surprised to see because all I can remember is just before me there was all this success, but that success really did happen kind of just before me. And I'm not saying it was, you know there was a group of guys that went through it with me too, but I was just, it, when you look back at it, it's kind of shocking to see how close I was to him being in that period of not being in the, the period of success that you described. Right. Yeah. So, it's, it, it really is um, incredible. I mean, you know, when you look at those seasons, I think I want to say he was like uh, what hundred and, maybe like 111 and 10 in a five-year span there. I mean, and, I, you know, 
once you get your program rolling, um, and it seems like he, he did that and he had a plan uh, and stuck with it. And, and I, I'm right there with you. A lot of my, a lot of people are like, well, why do you spend so much time, you know, looking back and, and watching, you know, those old game films and, and things and players from the past, especially, you know, kind of my sweet spot in, in, the, in the mid to late 80s to, to the 90s is really when I enjoyed uh, basketball. It was just different, uh, like you said. But right before you guys, your your core group of guys come, uh, 91, 92, you, you guys start getting some state recognition. You're, you're ranked in the AP poll. Uh, 92, 93, you get uh, up to number four. You finished uh, 19 and one. Uh, Jason Holmes ends up being special mention all Ohio that year. Um, but then the year before you guys win the state title, um, you run into a, a red hot team uh, in the regionals, uh, Upper Scioto Valley, uh, who was led by the player of the year that year, Jason Williams. Uh, and they get you at the Toledo Regional 45 uh, 42. I think you guys came into that game with just one loss. Um, USV would end up beating Worthington Christian, uh, and they would also win the girls' title that year as well. But uh, Andy Butler was a junior on that team. He was third team all Ohio, but, um, and I know coach Williman has talked about this. And I was looking at some old video about how that game kind of fueled your summer heading into your senior year. Yeah. We, um, yeah, I was thinking back on some of these things too, just knowing that we were going to be having this conversation and Running into a red hot team might might be an understatement, a juggernaut actually. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, part of getting you know you see these teams where they have just this unbelievable talent and then they disappear. They're not known. The school or the program's not known. They have this unbelievable, you know, couple of run of run of athletes or whatever, and they just kind of disappear. And I think that's what made you know Coach Willman's tenure so so successful or so special um but you know we ran into usv to your point and i, I think we were all disappointed because you feel that way there's a lot of parallels to maybe how things shook out for me in college at least from a progression and then ultimately winning standpoint um but that summer you know we, we made a commitment to each other you know it, it's kind of this now or never mentality right i mean you look around and you're like we have all the talent in the world when is there ever going to be, and you could argue, when is there ever going to be another high school team like this? You looked at the size and the athleticism that we had. I mean, we, we were 6'9", 6'6", 6, 6, 6, 6, or 4", you could argue, 6'2", 6, 6, as, as a starting high school team. Right. Right? I mean, you looked around, you said, it's now or never, right? And so we, you know, looking back on it, it was this all business mentality, but as soon as we lost that game, we were literally undefeated through the summer and undefeated through all of the next season. We did not lose a game. It didn't matter if it was a scrimmage. It didn't matter if it was a summer league game at a camp. Um, I can, you know, I, I, I don't remember them collectively, but there were some summer games in there that were, I think we played Zanesville at, at a camp and I mean, you talked to Seth. Yes, yeah, Seth actually mentioned that. He mentioned that. <laughs> There was a, a, a 
state championship crowd at a summer camp game. <laughs> the, uh, the, I remember Matt Moser was on our team and, and we Worthington has a summer league that used to be a little more premium or, um, than it is now. I, I can remember going down and watching some of the Buckeye players playing that league, but Matt Moser and I played in a fall Worthington summer league leading up to the season, um, in the fall leading up to that we drove down to columbus every weekend and played in the worthington fall summer league um i myself matt moser and andy butler actually teamed up with matt fox and jeremy thompson from van buren and played the majority of our fall leading into that season up at the university of finley who was still being coached by ron Neekamp at the time and you know, we would hold our own or be on winner's court a lot during during that fall. I can remember some of the, the college coaches that were recruiting me coming to watch, you know, some of those, those summer games at the University of Finley um, leading up to that. And Jeremy Thompson, by the way, was – he went to Ohio Northern University, and he was the leading scorer in that program for a period of time until Kevin Sensiball, I believe, broke that record. But, you know, you're talking about – just was it was kind of I don't want to say it was a golden age of basketball for us in this area, but it really felt like that. And everything was all business to your point leading into that season. It was put up or shut up, and I, you know, obviously we delivered, but we took it very, very seriously because you know we didn't know if that was ever going to be an opportunity again. Well, let's let's look at <clears throat> some of the the main characters here. Move forward. Um, so. Team-wise, uh, around the state, you're kind of looking at uh, heading into this season. Uh, this team ended up going 20-0 and in the regular season as well. Uh, Worthington Christian, I'm assuming, kind of hung on to that number one spot most of the season. They returned nine players from the 94 runner-up, uh, but they did end up getting upset before uh, regional play. Uh, you guys were number two. Uh, Dalton, the team that you would see, uh, later on was seven. Uh, one of your uh, rivals, Old Fort, was eight. Springfield Central Catholic, a team you would see in the very last game of the season, was nine. And uh, oof, Holgate at 15, uh, and we'll talk about that game. Uh, yeah, And then uh, some, of the, some of the key characters as far as players go, 94-95 uh, All-Ohio team, Andy Butler was uh, first team. He was also uh, one of the co-players of the year. Ryan Berg uh, from uh, from Dalton, Kevin Weekly from Worthington Christian, and Jason Collier, first team. Third team, Adam Kuhlman from Holgate, Jeff Miller from Old Fort. Uh, and then, uh, as I mentioned, Butler, uh, Berg, and Todd Sands from Centerburg uh, would be uh, the, I guess, tri-players of the year. And then uh, Jason Rone from Springfield Central Catholic. He was a special mention all Ohio. Craig Ackerman from Macomb. Uh, yourself and Randy Ensley from Dalton would be honorable mention all state. And those will be some guys that, that we talk about here. But your your regular season, you're, you're, you're coming off, you're, you're 84 and 10 uh, in your previous four seasons. And you got eight players returning from last year's regional team. Uh in watching that TV 47 dream season, you guys had a little preview there where you kind of went wild in that game. Uh, but you open up with new Regal. Uh, you started the game on a 16 0 run. Andy Butler had 26. 
Uh, and this is a team uh, you obviously blow out in this game, but New Regal uh, really caused uh, Finley Liberty Benton some problems in the past. Yep. I remember before I was you know, a player, obviously, I remember going to the old gym and watching them just deconstruct our 1-3-1 and, and, and beat us. And it wasn't, and I don't remember how many times it was, but I just, I think everybody was in shock every time it happened. They had some really good players there. I don't remember the names, but they had some really good players there. And I remember us losing those games to them. And, and it, well, it wasn't, okay, you know, you beat us in those games and now we're going to come out. Right, right. Game or anything like that. But, but they were, um, you know, they, they were a bane to our existence there for a period of time tournament-wise, regular season-wise, and, and gave us some losses when I don't think we expected to lose. Those were big games um, at, the, at the time. From, from what I so you get by New Regal, and then you get uh, McComb, um, who was coached by Brad Britton. Uh, Britton and Williman had had quite a few battles uh, in their day. Uh, you would beat McComb 57-40, which kind of uh, avenged your only regular season loss uh, the year prior, you lost to them 49-47. What was it about Macomb that made them difficult to play against? I think they were well coached, and they also had some very good athletes or a good athlete makeup on that team. Um, you know, you mentioned a couple of the players um, you know, on that team. Craig, Craig Ackerman was actually a team he's still with but he's a special teams coach oh, wow. in the NFL right now um he was with Tennessee for for a period of time maybe San Diego but he's in the NFL right now as a coach um played played at the University of Finley um I think they had two or three players off that team that might have played football at the University of Finley but you know, they, they were well coached and had a really athletic team at that time I, I believe when they beat us our it would have been my sophomore year number one in the state and they beat us that game I think I think we were number one in the state when they beat us in that game and they had a lot of carryover players from from that team that that played uh you know the dream season team or the, the 27 and 0 season as well so I when I say well coached I mean good athletes you know I we had probably 40 50 60 plays in our playbook they were a similar type of team they played good defense They were probably the most well-rounded athletic team in the conference um, that we played. And then just flat out, Van Buren that season where we won as well, that, that was our probably our most tested game during the regular season. They, we only beat them by, I believe, eight points that game. But Jeremy Thompson was on that team and Matt Fox, like I was describing before. And I think I actually had strep throat or the flu or something that game, if I remember correctly. But they, they – I remember we went back after that game, after we played Van Buren that season, and, and sat and had probably a two-hour meeting after we got off the bus and said, you know, we almost threw this away. Like, you know, what are we doing? And, and had one of those come-to-Jesus meetings. And, and from there, it was all business for the rest of the season. So, so you guys go after the – you go to the Bluffton Holiday Tournament, which I believe you were at the year before that as well. Uh, you defeated Bluffton by 30. Um Andy had 20, Matt Moser 17, and you had 14. Uh, and then you get uh, Arlington uh, in the finals there, a, a BBC opponent. 
uh, and you beat them 63-44. Um, you're awarded the MVP of the Bluffton Holiday Tournament, uh, and then Andy and, and Matt Moser were, were all tournament as well. So you finished the 1994 portion of your schedule there, 8-0. Um, and then you get uh, you get uh, Leipzig or Leipzig. How do they say that up? Leipzig, yeah. Leipzig. Uh, yeah. I know they were down the state in 2013, um, and seemed to always have some big, strong athletes uh, at that school. But they, uh, you, you bury them, 81-53. Uh, Ryan Courtney started that game really hot. Um, Butler finished that game with 26, but. I don't know if we'll get to talk about him again, but Ryan Courtney was uh, kind of a uh, a spark for you guys with his ability to shoot behind the arc. I believe he was – was he your quarterback on the football team as well? He was. Um, he was He was actually my best friend in, in high school, and I, I had him in my wedding too. But um, he you know, he was one of those guys that would go just work. I mean, I, uh, he would go out and shoot all the time. And, and I, he mentioned that I didn't you start to recall things as you watch things, but he mentioned during the videos I was watching it that, you know, he, he, when he played football, he wasn't able to do some of that. And it took him a while to just kind of get his, get his shot back and, 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 and some of those things. But I, I just remember he was, he was a guy that would go out and just do reps. You know, he, and, you know, it's that muscle memory thing was always shooting free throws, always shooting spot shots. Um, I, I, would, I would go over and feed him the ball sometimes just while he was shooting. But I think you look back at it, I, I, I don't want to say guys don't put in the work today, but we had a, an entire team of right. guys that put in the work. They, they went out and they, they shot shots in the summer. They, they worked on things to make themselves better, to develop new moves or – Whatever it might be in, in, in the off season, and and I, it, that really made a huge difference because I think the one thing that I probably, as I'm sitting looking back watching the video more than anything, is how confident we all were. Like if you sit there and watch us play, we're not looking over at the bench. Guys are taking shots that traditionally somebody would be like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, you probably shouldn't shoot that," or you know, and it just. You know, I could shoot threes. Matt could shoot threes. You know, we had four or five guys on the team that could shoot threes consistently, right? And it just – but we had guys that put in the work, and I think you could see some of that confidence come through. I just – it always amazes me when I watch us play how slow we look. But, my gosh, how fast right. we look. <laughs> and I don't know if it's just because we're, you know, we're old or the style of play that we had, but we could score – so fast. I mean, I don't know the exact statistics, but I think that season we averaged, um, we averaged about 80 and our opponents averaged about 40 and our field goal percentages. I don't know if you have them, but they were off the charts. I mean, you're, you're talking high fifties, low sixties for two point field goals in those, you know, right. Who shoots that? So there, there wasn't, but everybody could score. And, and we could do it so fast. I mean, there were how many games I can't even count where we didn't even play the second half of the games. Andy averaged over 20 points playing. And I would I would say probably somewhere between 40 and 60% of the games, we didn't even see the, wow. the second half. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> it 
it's just crazy when you look back on it. I, I, we were we're talking about. It, we were yeah, you know that that's um, one of the questions. You know, I, I was thinking. Yeah, I've seen almost every state champion uh, since 1997 uh, in in Division Four, and I was talking with a couple of buddies, and I, you know, I'm I'm still not sure. Uh, man for man and just you got to factor in the coaching you got to factor in the team chemistry and the size and all those things I'm, I'm still not sure there's a team um, that would beat you in a series uh, in division four since I've seen uh, since 95 yeah we yeah, I don't know if you're going to get to the point of, I don't want to take you off your questioning but talking about just how we structured and, and, and we added Brent Walker to the coaching staff and you know there was um, you know Bob Huggins was at the University of Cincinnati and was pretty successful at that point in time too and they played a matchup zone defense and you know we were really known for our 1-3-1 up to that point and um, you know we could play some man-to-man defense but just with our size and our length we actually put in the Cincinnati matchup zone defense and that helped get us through you know, a couple tough situations because we had something else to go to. Um, you know, we played a very strict uh, man-to-man defense, play, push people to the baseline. Um, you know, if, if, if we got up against a team that was athletically you know, exploiting some things, we could, we could go to the 1-3-1 or we could go to the, to the matchup zone, and it was another element that helped just diversify things a little bit, but you know, we were able to do things. I think the point there, we were able to do things as a high school team that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. You know, every team had a couple athletes or this, that. We were able to do some advanced concept type stuff. You know, I mentioned we had, we had a 40, 50, 60 play playbook. We had 15 out of bounds plays on the, under the basket and on the sideline. I mean, we had, you know, we had three defenses that we could go to, and we had the size and athleticism to, and smart kids that could could remember all those concepts, and we could go to any of those things if we ever ran into a roadblock or a problem during the season too. So it, it just it helped help. Well, you you had mentioned this game, and this was your, as far as the scoreboard goes in the regular season, uh, you beat Van Buren 72-64. Uh, it was your closest call in 20 regular season games. Um, Van Buren, uh, stayed close. Uh, they hit a lot of threes in this game. Uh, you mentioned Jeremy Thompson and Matt Fox, Greg Bays, uh, as another guy. Um, this is a game where, where Andy has 25, which is not out of the ordinary, but, uh, Matt Moser has a career high 25 in this game. And, you know, watching some, some brief film of Matt, he seemed to be, uh, a guy that just, played on emotion. Um, he was the guy that kind of did, uh, you know, with you probably helping him out a lot, giving him some matchups that he could take advantage of, but he exploited that because of how hard he worked uh, on the offensive glass and, uh, you know, just a relentless competitor. But he seemed like of the guys on your team, and I, you could obviously speak more to this, he seemed like that one guy that had that, like emotional fire to him. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think, 
Matt was one of those guys that worked for everything that he, he got. Um, and just if you watched him play, I mean, he looks, he looks fairly fluid, but he's not, he's a little, he's a little rough around the edges. And I, I mean, that yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> but he, he was a workhorse. I mean, he was the guy that would go after a re he was the Dennis Rodman. He would go after a rebound and then go after it again and again and again, and he'd tip it and he'd, you know, he'd fight for it. And, and you just, he was the guy that was never going to give up, had a bit of an unnatural strength to him. Um, and you know, he, he mentioned this too, but he was a guy and I mentioned, you know, him putting in the work, you know, he and I, at one point I, I was lifting and doing some things and I had some, some, the opportunity to have some, some, some other people side of basketball and whatnot pushed me in some of those things and you know and he kind of came I remember he came to me one time and he said hey you know can I start lifting with you and we were in there at six in the morning working out lifting together and you know I it's one of those kind of it's one of those special things with Matt when you really look back on it where you're like I don't know that we had like this acknowledged relationship but it came through in all these other ways to your point you know lifting together, going and playing in the Worthington Falls Summer League together, um, playing up at the University of Finley together. You know, he's he's a driver now in our community at Liberty Benton. He's He went to Indiana to play baseball. He's, he's heavy into fundraising for baseball here. He runs all our youth programs. We have hundreds of kids that play in our youth baseball programs. Um, you know, he, he's a driver in trying to get athletic things done at the school. Like he, he's he's been relentless whether he was in high school or not. He's just carried it right on to the next thing. <laughs> and you can't. It's you. You love to have those people in your community because they 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 just give 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 right. And he's one of those guys. And I think it's just it, it's a it's a follow through to how he was and how he played. Um, might be cliche, but you know it's. It's fun to to still have him part of everything, just because he, he is what he is. Right? Well, you guys, uh, you guys would get, uh, and I'm assuming, you know, just judging by the crowd, and, and this was a, a highly anticipated matchup. You got Old Fort. Uh, you come in at number three in the state. They come in at number five. Um, you guys beat them 67-57. Uh, Andy has 32. Matt has 14 in this game. What was it? Um, was it the fact that uh, you know Coach was from Old Fort? What what made this such a? Uh, and they have one of the great nicknames, the Stockcaters. Um, <laughs> what what made this? Uh, you know, I know they had um, uh, what was it? Jeff Miller was a was a really good player on that team for Old Fort. Um, I think he was in your class, correct? So what what made this you know such a such a big matchup back then? Well, I, everybody's yeah. always looking for the story, right? And I, I think there was the story with obviously Steve coming from there and and, and all that. So that, mm-hmm. it was also a state ranked matchup, and you you know this was twenty five years ago again. This was pre iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody got their everybody got their news from the the Thursday matchup in the paper, and you, you know it, it was just it was again a different time. But everybody was looking for a good game. I mean, you know whether we 
we obviously blew a lot of people out during the season and, and other things with the, the caliber, but you were always looking for a good game, and this gave everybody that. It was it was a state-ranked matchup with two very, very good teams, and oh, by the way, it had the underlying historical story of, um, you know, Steve having come from there and everything else. But you had two small people really, really got into small school basketball, and it was – two small schools in a really, really big state-ranked state, state ranked game at that point. It was going to be on TV. I mean, right. tape delayed. <laughs> but, fin, you know, Finley, you know, we're, we're stuck between Lima and Toledo. We never had our own TV station. TV 47 comes in and sets up a TV station in Finley at the time. There is no TV station here now, by the way. But they're going to tape delay the game. It's going to be on TV. You know, it now you have w, WOSN has a lot of the regional network games and, and around here now they weren't around then right and so it was just it was like the the makings of the biggest <laughs> the greatest thing since sliced bread at, at at the time and now you look back and laugh at it but it but it had all those components well i wouldn't mention this game uh if it didn't have some sort of magnitude to it but you guys played Corey rosson who you beat 99-39, which is not the story here. Um, this was your 28th consecutive BVC win, Blanchard Valley Conference, for those of you that uh, don't know what BVC is. Um, but this was interesting, and I saw this on the same video you were watching. Andy, Andy Butler broke three records on one shot, um, becomes the all-time leading scorer at the time uh, at Liberty Benton. I think he broke a single game scoring record with 42 and uh, a three point record as well. Um, I wanted to mention Andy because, and you tell me if, if this is, if this is off or not, but you know, when I, I'm watching Andy and just the way he played with that, like just blank, blank stare on his face, almost, it just seemed like you, I mean, it, and I wasn't with him obviously as much as you, but he just, to me, he just seemed like one of those guys. He's just a, a big game player. Uh, I wrote down something like he's just assassin, like a stone cold killer. Uh, when, when you look at this dude, it just says like, this guy's a player. Um, and Andy, you know, he didn't even play. Uh, he, he went to play baseball at Bowling Green State University where he, he ends up getting drafted by the twins in the 88 amateur draft. Uh, but you know, the one thing Andy, when you watch it, he could play, he could play right now um, with the game he had back then. Um, that game would easily translate now. I mean, he would be a stud now. Why do you think um, when, when people think back of some of like the great, you know, players in Ohio history, especially if you want to narrow it down to division four, I don't understand why Andy's name does not get brought up more. I mean, this kid was a stud. Yeah. I wonder yeah. when we're going to talk. I about mean, him. he was just a stud. <laughs> I think you described why we don't, which is because of how he played. It, he wasn't flashy. He wasn't, you know, going back door and punching on somebody. He, I don't think people understand how good he was. Yeah. Andy was good. <laughs> I mean, really good. 
you know, when he had one of the probably most flawless shots in the game, like when, if you go back and look at any of the great shooters and what they were able to do and how they shot and the mechanics of how they shot and everything else, he had one of the best shots. He, I, I mean, we played in a, in a shrunk gym for, you know, his entire career, but he didn't, he'd be at half court. You, it would go up, right? He would just dribbling down the floor as the point guard. He's six, three, he's coming down the floor. He's dribbling down the floor. You think we're going to run offense. He, he puts his foot on the half court line. It's going up and it's in, it isn't like, Oh my gosh, what's he doing? Like, it's like, okay, that's just a normal shot for him. I equate to, I equate how he, you know, if anybody ever watched Sean mm-hmm. Respert play at Michigan state, I mean, this guy averaged over 30 points a game in the big Ten. The guy, he would shoot it from anywhere on the floor. And it wasn't like, oh, that's just a crazy shot. Like, it's a, you better put a hand in his face because it's going in. If you, if you can get it off, it's going in. Andy was that type of player. Like, and I don't think people, it, but his game wasn't flashy to your point. And so I don't think people think of it that way. But he, I mean, he had over 30 points in the state championship game, just came out ice cold. Like, and you, and you would never think, oh, he had 30 points. Like, he just, it was like silent assassin stuff, right? You know, had, had uh, you know, could take it to the basket, could could shoot it off the dribble, could just shoot it from anywhere on the floor. <laughs> and like you mentioned, he was a great athlete. He would play baseball in college and got drafted. I mean, but he – I don't think – it's weird. I, I feel the same way as you. Like, people don't ever really talk about him or bring his name up. He was really, really good. What, what was uh, – you know, because he – I was listening to an interview he did there in that documentary. And I also um, uh, listened to an interview. I think he went into the Hancock, was it Hancock Hall of Fame in 2014, maybe. Um, So he he was obviously, you know, 19 years older, but he said it didn't seem like his demeanor had changed at all. It was just like the same, you know, a little bit older version looking of him. Uh, but answering questions almost the exact same way. What was he like off the court? As you described, I, I mean, he, I mean, Andy's a lot of fun. You, get a, you know, he's the type of guy that if he knows you and gets along with you, he, you know, he, he opens up a little bit, but he, he's always been like that and still is to your point. He's, I'd say he's more of a keep to himself type of person and doesn't show a lot of outward emotion that's just who he was. Um, but that it goes into that flash, right? He played the same way. There wasn't, you know, you could tell he was really good, but there just wasn't a ton of flash to his game. And there didn't need to be. <laughs> he, he would just, I know there was a lot of, 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 of my listeners out there that what, what is, what is Andy doing now? I think, I, I think he works for a bank uh, and lives in the Columbus area. Couldn't tell you which bank, but he's in banking to to a certain degree. And, I am and his father, uh, Dean, I believe, was the athletic director at the time that you guys were were making this run. Yeah, he was, and and um, you know we lost we lost Dean here. Um, I, I don't know how long it's been. It seems like two or three years at this point, but he he passed away and kind of unexpectedly, and one of those. Type deals and 
but I, you know, Dean was Dean was special for our community too. I mean, he he was our athletic director through you know for a very long period of time, and you could say really helped us from from supporting our coaches across multiple sports. I mean, we've had you know tremendous success from from legacy coaches in cross country and track and basketball and now football and. You know, Dean had a vision and was open, openly instrumental in helping to get, um, you know, get some, some teams to join our athletic conference and expand. And, you know, was, I, I think well known around the state, but Dean was, Dean was very good at what he did and was, was really a driving force. And, you know, Andy's had, it, it, it must be in the, must be in the blood because Andy's <laughs> sisters are good too. Well, <laughs> You guys uh, close out the regular season. You, you bury Arlington. Um, that was your final game in the old gym. Uh, you captured your fourth BDC title in a row. Uh, Andy had 27. You had 21 in that game, 15 coming in the first half. Uh, you end up beating Van Lu, um, who would give you your third straight 9-0 and BDC uh, season. And then you close out the perfect 20-0 and regular season with a win over Macomb. Um, so you head into tournament play at 20 and 0 uh, in your first tournament game there on March 3rd is a sectional final and you get uh, Arlington again. Um, and this is a game that Arlington led 26, 25, and they only trailed by five at half. Uh, you end up holding them scoreless the first four minutes of the second half. Um, was this just like one of those, cases of you know you guys have beaten these guys up pretty good most of the season and they come out on fire you know you know what goes on with this game I think it was a lot about there was a bit of a historical aspect to it and it was one of those programs where they they were really good too I mean let's not take anything Macomb and Arlington were probably the two the two best teams in our league but Arlington most of their contingent was in one grade. Like I, they, when I was in junior high, seventh and eighth grade year, we couldn't beat them. <laughs> they were all, they were kind of, they were stacked in really one grade. And, but they were more of a rivalry game for us, I guess. Um, and when you see somebody that many times that frequently, I, you kind of get each other figured out. And so they took some stuff away and I would I would say we probably played a little more timid than we probably should have that game. I don't know why. Um, but, you know, when you combine those two things together, I think that would be for So you guys get uh, Fostoria St. Wendelin at Fostoria High School in the district semifinal. You beat them 56-30, uh, setting up another matchup on the 11th of March in the district final uh, against Old Fort in this um would not go very well for the Stockaders. Uh, you guys run away with this one, 86-62. Ryan Courtney hits uh, three threes in the first quarter, uh, knocking them out of that zone. Uh, he ends up with 17. Andy had 26. But the interesting thing I, I took out of this game was, as Coach Williman said after the game, we don't even want to cut the nets down. Uh, just kind of, I think, showed what kind of mindset you had and what the mission the mission was it wasn't to win a district title. That's just a step along the way. Yeah. You, you remember, I, 
or something like what you just said. And I remember that. We were like, oh, we don't want to cut the nets down. <laughs> it's like, I know what your guys' goal is, but, you know, you might not get this chance again, so you better just cut the nets down, you know? like. And so reluctantly, we all went up and, you know, cut our piece of the net down and all that. But it, it's just, we had that mentality. We really did. I mean, it was funny because we, we, well, we all wore suits at the time, and not everybody was doing that. And, um, so... <laughs> We were business. I mean, we, we had a goal and we knew that I, I, I fully believe that we knew that we were going to achieve that goal. And so we, we, we did take that mentality. It was okay. It's just another step on the way. And, but it was funny. I mean, he, he had a to <laughs> so you guys, you know, move on to a game that you played in a, a year prior. Uh, you're in the regional semis again, March 16th. Uh, and you're playing Holgate. Um, and this is this is a basketball game. Uh, for those of you that aren't sure about that, the final score of this game uh, at Toledo University was 31 to 27. Holgate led this game 23-21 heading into the fourth quarter uh, before Matt Moser would tie it at 33 or at 23. I'm sorry. Uh, and then Jeff Kramer seals the game with a steal and, and go ahead hoop. Uh, you would hit a, a paint jumper and a few free throws to seal it. Um, Jeff Kramer, uh, six-man extraordinaire for you guys, just kind of came in and, uh, you know, accepted his role. Uh, as all great teams, uh, you guys had a bench full of guys that uh, accepted their role and played it to a tee. So first off, I said bloodbath earlier. The Holgate game was probably our most concerning game in the entire tournament, even going into the game, because of how they played. I mean, they had a – I believe his last name was Youngie, but he was 6'6", I think. But this was – they were known for holding the basketball. Like, it was one of those games where if you ever wanted to have a shot clock in high school basketball, this was the game you wanted to have a shot clock because they would just hold the basketball. They played D, they'd get up on you by two or four points, and then they'd right. stand there and hold it. <laughs> and you're like, what is what is going on? Like, And you can't score if you don't have the ball. And there wasn't really a way. I mean, you know, we played a 1-3-1, played a man. They would just stand out there and hold it. And we would let them do it, because like, there wasn't really anything you could do about that. And Sometimes that works to the opponent's benefit and sometimes it doesn't and they were really really good at that you know sometimes you're like come on and then you get up on them and then they can't you know you just blow them out because they can't do what they were going to do they were a team that like did that all year it wasn't that they were just doing it against us so and we kind of knew who they were I mean they were a team close enough we would scrimmage them in the offseason all those types of things but that was probably the most concerning game of the year and then you know back to Jeff you know, both Jeff and Ryan Morgan were – these were starters, premier best players on other teams. Like, Jeff Jeff was our running back on our football team. He was a 300-hurdle guy, could shoot the ball pretty good. And, you know, we you know, our defensive schemes, he was the type of guy that could just frustrate frustrate guys. 
Um, you know, Ryan Morgan, he, you know, he was a 400 runner. Um, you know, one of those guys that could just score around the basket. Like, there wasn't, you know, he played the top of our 1-3-1 defense and just frustrate frustrate people to death. I mean, but these were guys that on any other team, they would have been their best players. And they, they were, our, one of them was a starter, but the other guy came off the bench, right? So it speaks to, you know, we were talking earlier about just the overall, um, you know, size and athleticism of the team. I mean, we these were our utility guys. And, On any other team, they would have been would have been the best players. So it was. It was well, I think it was fitting as you guys were walking off the court there at Toledo University. You you could see Coach Williman as he as he's walking off the court. It was kind of like he was just. It was like like a sigh of relief. Yeah, like yes. We, we uh, and and Holgate, you know, some nine years later would would run that same style to a state championship in two thousand four. Um, but you get the you get the uh, advantage that night, and you would end up playing Fayette in the regional final, uh, a game you guys were trailing after one sixteen eleven. Um, but you went to that one three one. Andy Butler come up with six steals. Um, you had eighteen. You were eight of ten shooting. Uh, so a very efficient night there to take you guys to the state tournament. Um, State semifinal game. So you guys pack up the Astro vans um, and you head on down to Columbus uh, where you'd have a, a date with a high-powered Dalton team uh, in front of 13,376. Huge crowd for this one. Um, so you, you had mentioned earlier you, you had played in front of 43,116 at the RCA Dome and, and Indy. Um, but, you know, as a, as a young guy, um, making your first trip to uh, St. John Arena for the state tournament, was, was it everything that you thought it would be or was it just more? Uh, I, I was, you've done a lot of things since then. <laughs> the, uh, the lighting, I can tell you what, the, the lighting in St. John Arena terrible i do remember that I, I had the opportunity to play there one year in college before they you know, moved the shot and i it was the same same deal i mean the, the lighting in there is terrible i remember that we would pack up and go up to bowling green and play at the old anderson arena there they have a new uh, arena there the strata center now but they played at the old anderson arena and we were just trying to get to a place that that um you know gave you this the spatial sense of it's, it's complete. I, I mean, not a lot of people get this experience, but when you go play in a big arena like that, and you haven't played in a big arena like that, it is absolutely different. There, the the depth behind the basket and the lighting in the gym creates an environment that's nothing like a normal high school gym. Like if you don't play in that type of an environment all the time and you're not used to it, it's it's really hard to get an understanding of like depth perception it really is and so i remember we were packing up and going to different arenas around here in the local area just trying to get some sense of what that felt like i would say that you know the old savage hall at university of toledo i don't think they call it that anymore but they uh they would bring the lights down in the background so it was like playing in a more of a normal gym i would say because 
there wasn't any background there. You know, they brought the lights down. You felt you could see the court, and that was it. And so it felt more like you know you could see what was going on. But at the same yeah. time, they had all those little can lights that they, you know they bring down and hang from the ceiling, and so everything was lit equally in the entire place. And it was it was a unique environment. And so you know, what I think made it even more special when you go back and look at it is, is we talked about Andy and his ability to shoot and everything else. It it was like there was no change for him. You know, he just came in and shot it like he always shot it. And I think that made it even more special because, you know, it's I just got done describing it, but it is extremely different than when you're trying to play in a high school gym. Um, but I, you know, I think right. the entire town came down for that, right? I mean, and when we talk about Dalton, you know, Dalton was labeled as, you know, they were going to be the Goliath Slayer. <laughs> like, you guys haven't seen a team like this, the pace they run and and everything else. And, again, back then, pre-cell phones, you know, you were driving halfway across the state <laughs> to try and get a tape from somebody yeah. so that you could understand what you were going to play. And so we, we really didn't know. I mean, we came into the game and watched a couple game tapes and practiced against what we knew their offense was and, and against their defense and everything. And but we had no idea until we stepped on the floor what type of a team we were playing. And, you know, ultimately the, the end result was a bit anticlimactic. But, you know, we, we really – It was interesting know. that you mentioned uh, the Goliath Slayer because Dave Potopsky, uh, their, their coach there at Dalton – uh, had mentioned it was David versus Goliath, and Goliath won this one. Um, but they they had a junior combination there of Ryan Berg and Randy Inslee, who who could really score the ball. Um, but you know, you like you said, you guys jump out to a fifteen point halftime lead, and then I mean, ends up sixty nine forty one. And you know, you you said this. This isn't this isn't a social media era where they have the huddle or you know, where you can watch game films, you kind of come into these things as, as, as a unknown as to what you're, you're facing. At what point did you guys, was there a point in the game where you guys were kind of like, yeah, I think we're better than this team. I think you, you, you pick it up pretty quickly. It doesn't matter what level you play at or what sport you it's kind of like meeting somebody for, you know, in the first five minutes, you can tell kind of what, who they are, how they communicate, you know, and it was kind of that, I think you, you, you start playing and you're like, okay. And then the anxiety goes away a little bit and you're like, we got this, like this <laughs> at that level, I wouldn't say it's a walk in the park, but at the same time, you're like, okay, we're better than they are. Well, Andy Butler finishes this game with 20 points, Matt Moser 15. You had 12, Ryan Courtney with eight, Jeff Kramer with nine off the bench, and then Ryan Morgan, uh, who was one of your <clears throat> defensive specialists there, uh, had four. You guys shot 59% from the floor, which was not um, out of character for you guys at all. You were, uh, I think, 83% of the line. Uh, but the big thing is you held Ryan Berg to 14 and Randy Inslee to 11 Um and then the rest of their team only scored 16 points. Uh, and those two combining for 25 was, I mean, I think Berg may have even averaged more than 25 himself coming into that game. Uh, you held them to 31% shooting. They were two of 14 from three. So 
you guys uh, deconstructed them uh, into the state finals uh, where you would get uh, Springfield Central Catholic, uh, who was kind of up and coming. Uh, and they were led by the two Jasons, Jason Collier and Jason Rone. Um, they had beaten Delphi St. John's 72-55 in a semifinal. Delphi St. John's is an interesting story. Uh, they finished their year at 10 and 15. They came into the tournament well under 500. Uh, Rone had 36 and Collier 29 in the semis, but the rest of the team only had seven. Now, I don't know how much of their semifinal game you guys got to see, if any. Um, but was this something that you guys thought you could expose the fact that two guys were, were producing, uh, that much of their offense? I think I can say it was the opposite of the Dalton game. Like I remember, at least I felt that way. You know, when you asked, do you know, kind of, you know, do you feel more comfortable or does, do you know, who you're facing or feel more confident? I would say when, when that game started, that feeling never really came, at least for me, from what I can remember. It was the makeup of their team was different, even though that they were loaded into those two guys, just their size and, and even their athleticism to a certain degree was we knew it was going to be a challenge. And so it was it felt much different. And, and to your point, you could watch a little bit of them of the game or watch them play. Um, whereas we didn't, we didn't have that luxury with Dalton. So it was, it was a much more, it was a much tougher matchup for us versus the, the semifinal game. And I think that we all, we all felt that a little bit. It wasn't that we weren't confident or that we were scared by it. It was just, you know, it was, it was different. And for some of my younger listeners out there, uh, Jason Collier, uh, I guess, depending on who you ask, uh, pretty close to seven foot, if not seven foot, um, and he was, you know, at this time he was a junior. He was one of the uh, top prospects in America. Um, believe he went to Indiana right out of high school uh, before transferring. Uh, but he, yeah, he tragically uh, passed away at a way too young of an age. But uh, I'm assuming, uh, just looking at at your schedule over the years, you didn't face anyone with the size uh, of Collier to that point, had you? No. I mean, you spoke about um, Fayette a little bit earlier in the, in the regional the regional final game, and I can't remember their exact size, but I think they were six 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 seven on the other side in the post. But as far as just overall size and length, and Jason, um, Jason would go on to win Mr. Basketball the next year, uh, and they would they would uh, run away with the state championship in '96 in Division Four with him and Jason Rone coming back. Um, but the one quote I absolutely love that Steve Willeman said was, "This team can't prepare for us in two days," and I think that said it all. You know, we've talked about, you know, pretty much everybody on the team, and I don't mean this in a braggish way. I really don't. But they mm-hmm. – you had to pick your poison with us. There wasn't – there was five guys on our team. We averaged five guys in double figures. And, and any one of them could put up 20 points on any given night. 
So it was kind of pick your poison. You know, to your point, you said they had two kind of standout players right. on their team. Well, we had five or six. So who, who do you shut down? And they had to pick their poison. And, and I, I never really felt like they did. And really what sealed the deal was is our two seniors and Matt and Andy, they came to play that game. And I, I kind of took it on myself. I mean, I ended up only on four points and 12 rebounds that game. But I was, my job is to shut down Jason Collier try and frustrate him as much as possible. Let's try and take as much away from him as possible. I don't remember us really being in a situation where it was like Matt and I had to double team him every play. We knew that if we, you know, did what we needed to do and then let our guys do what, what they needed to do, then they had to pick their poison and they weren't, there wasn't any way they could match up to that. And they didn't, <laughs> but you know, it's one of those game plans where you go into it. You're like, you face, okay, you're facing one of the best players in the country, one of the best prospects in the country, one of the biggest guys right. ever faced or played. I mean, he was long, really. I mean, he could. I mean, he stood six eleven, seven feet, but he was really, really long. And we just knew that if we took took away him and and some other options on on their side of the floor, that that we wouldn't, that we shouldn't have any problem. But I tell you, when Matt and Andy step up the way that they did in that game, they're lights out right yeah if you were taking uh bets in vegas you probably wouldn't have scored on this one. First two buckets of the game go to ryan morgan um the senior got you guys got you guys off to a, a good start there uh you would take a 17 14 lead modest lead into the second quarter um you know and then you end up having a uh, 30 25 lead at half call your head a you know, he had nine points in the in the second quarter to kind of keep things uh, close. But you guys come out in the third quarter and just blow the doors um, open. 11 straight points. He scored 20 of the next 22 points. Uh, you lead 50 to 31 after three, and then you end up winning this game 70 to 51. You mentioned Andy Butler, and, and he ends up getting the, the MVP of the state tournament. He finished with 31 points, seven steals, six assists, and four rebounds in the championship game. Uh, Matt Mosier had 10, Ryan or 16, I'm sorry. Uh, Ryan Courtney with 10, Jeff Kramer with five off the bench. And, uh, you know, you end up with four, but you did have 12 big rebounds and you were very, you know, watching that game, you you were very, very good on the defensive end, uh, especially there. You had like maybe like three steals and in, in, in a small amount of possessions there. Do you remember that sequence where, you know, they tried to throw it over top of you, I think, a couple of times and you took it away? And um, do you remember that? Yeah, I, I don't know what I do. And I don't remember what their season was like or who they would have faced size-wise, but they had some things to figure out with us, too. And I think the way that we started that game and, and those steals that you're speaking to, I think that, that really, you know, messed them up to a certain degree. Because, you, know, you know, typically they're probably used to coming down the floor, throw it in the post, and then, you know, he's their wheel man. If, if he's not going to put it up, then he's going to kick it out to somebody that's going to be open because they're collapsing on him. I mean, we, we spoke to our size. I mean, we could just stand on the floor and stick our arms out and cover the whole floor, right? So, you know, they had to contend with that or try to figure that out too. And when something that you're so used to working doesn't work right out right out of the gate, it, you know, it tends to mess with you a little bit. So, 
I don't think it really was a detriment to them in the first half, but then, you know, the things that they would go to the well on as far as how they played their game, they weren't able to do that then in the second half, and then we kept grinding on them and wore them down, and some of the things that they would go to just didn't work. It, it you know, the end result was the end result. But it, I want to say it, was, it wasn't a turning point or anything like that, but I would say that it, it kept them from getting off to a hot start, which could have gave them and Andy was relentless there in the first half, attacking the basket, getting fouled, uh, just just relentless. And um, so you hold Jason Collier to 18, Jason Ronay to 10, which was 47 less than they had in their semifinal game. So you knew uh, good things were probably going to be the result, and it was a 19-point win, undefeated 27-0 state championship. You guys go down to Columbus, <laughs> and you win games by 28-19. and 19. Um, just, I mean, an unbelievable run, uh, culminates with the state championship. Who was the bigger competitor, Andy Butler or Mateen Cleaves? <laughs> there couldn't be oh, two more sure. polar opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. I com- competitive in a different way. I, I, we've already talked about, okay. Andy, so let's talk about him talk about Mateen for a minute um you know Mateen I had I had the benefit of watching some high school tape on Mateen after we were in college and some people may or may not remember this but he was being recruited by Michigan too and there was a car wreck Ah. uh, while he was on his visit to Michigan and he messed up his back in that car wreck a and I think that he never really got over that. But if, if if he would have been able to play athletically in college, like he played in high school from the tape that I watched, it was the tale of two players. I mean, he would turn the corner on an elbow ball screen and go down the lane and dunk on two people. And I never saw that from him in college. He wasn't physically able to do that. And I don't, you know, product of his back or whatever you want to call it but you know Mateen had some things that he had to to, as good as he was some things that he had to contend with too to to get over those things and (laughs) two completely different ends of the spectrum on that one so but no Mateen I mean Mateen was put into again I I said you know Izzo's my freshman year and Mateen's freshman year, we were in the same class, would have been Tom as a second year as a head coach. He was an assistant at MSU under Jeff Heathcote for 12 years before he took that head coaching position. But when, when Michigan State made that decision to make Tom a head coach, the entire, the entire basketball world, including <laughs> Michigan, was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, and it's, it's funny to think back on that now because of all the success that he's had. But, you know, he was – Mateen was a, a driving force in really changing the style of basketball at the time. Um, it's hard to talk about things conceptually, but, you know, Tom has changed the game of basketball to a certain degree. You had your UNLVs of the world that would run and gun and all this type of stuff, but when, when Tom's style of basketball, and it still is to this day, and I think that it's, whether this is fair or not, losing some relevance in the modern game. At the time, it was it was a game changer. 
it was run and gun basketball while playing defense, while out rebounding the other team. And it didn't matter if we shot 20, 28 or 32% from the field, you were still going to win games because you just outworked people. And so, you know, Mateen was a driving force in that because he had to play the style. He, had, he basically had to go through a game change as far as the style of basketball that was being played at the time and run Tom Izzo's uh, offense. And I remember he, there were times during practice he'd be like, he'd just stop and be like, I can't, his back would mess with him. Like, like he would like, you know, like give that lean, like, oh, I just tweaked my back. And then he would have to go like out of practice for a while. Like it, you know, and people don't ever see that side of it, but <laughs> I know we're a long way from your question. But <laughs> it's completely different, you know, from, from the, from the spectrum of, you know, style of play. And, and yeah, there was uh those Spartan teams uh, that you were on were very fun over just the, the competitive nature of those guys and uh, the way you guys competed was just so fun to watch. And um, to be honest, it's crazy. Um, I mean, not counting Maryland because they weren't in the big 10 at the time, but uh, you know, that was the last big 10 team to, to win the, the national championship in the, 20 years ago. Yeah. We, in my sophomore year and I, you know, I was talking about the style of basketball at the time and you know Purdue my sophomore year we went in there and punched them in the face and they I mean it was like it was that one of the, the changing moment I would say in okay we're here and we're, we're the bad you know we're the we're the Detroit bad boys now to a certain degree <laughs> and um Purdue was good. Purdue, you know, Purdue had won four Big Ten titles in a row with Glenn Robinson, the big dog Glenn Robinson, and some of the teams that they had in that stretch under Gene Cady there. And we went, you know, we went down, and those guys had left, and they were past that point. But we went down there, and they were still considered an elite program, punched them in the face, and that was really where it changed, I think. So well AJ the last question I want to ask you is uh, give you a chance to to uh, state your case why, why is um, or why should Finley Liberty Benton's 1995 Division 4 team be considered uh, if not the best one of the one of the best Division 4 teams of all time <laughs> listen to the podcast <laughs> um, I, th- I think it's everything that we've talked about I mean being funny or not I, when you take the size the athleticism you know our sixth man our seventh man being starters and stars on other teams um the stats we put up during the season. Um, it's always hard, right? It's like, oh, can we have Michael Jordan play LeBron James, right? Like, it's it's hard to say, but I, I just, if you watched, if, if you had any familiarity with the way that we played or, you know, what we were able to do and how we did it, you know, it'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to say why not. Um there were certainly teams that 
you know, had better players, I think, overall, more athletic players, NBA caliber players, whatever you want to call it. But as a team and the way that we played, I don't know that you could beat us. Um, to your point, on an off night, you get unlucky, you have a sick guy, somebody gets hurt, you know, what will be will be. But if you played a series, no chance you're beating us in a series. Because we just we had too many weapons. And, and we were well coached and disciplined, and you know the we had all the pieces. I, I would say the only thing we couldn't do was press somebody. <laughs> and I laugh about that because we tried it. We tried it in practice a couple times, and it lasted all about two minutes. But <laughs> I would say if there was any flaw in, in anything that we couldn't, you know, we could do it. Would it would be that we just couldn't press. Outside well, there you that, have it. If you could go back twenty five years. Um... The only weakness in that Liberty Benton team was something that they didn't do very often, which was press. So you were kind of out of luck anyway. Uh, they, they win 27 games. They lose none. Um, in my mind, uh, one of, if not the best division four teams to ever do it. AJ, man, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. All right, my man. Thank you very much. Wow, how about that, folks? Um, quite the conversation there with uh, one of the all-time greats in the state of Ohio that was the the great A.J. Granger there, and we thank him once again for coming on and, and talking to us about the 1995 Liberty Benton Eagles. Um, I would be remiss if I did not mention, we talked about uh, Jeff Kramer, who was like their super six-man football kid, uh, really came in and turned the tide uh, for them, and uh, they just really didn't drop off when they went to their bench. But uh, not just Kramer, but Wes Hone and Drew Walters uh, were also part of that bench crew. And then a couple of young guys that helped out as well, sophomore Drew Mahalik and uh, freshman Ryan Thomas. So I didn't want to go the podcast without mentioning those guys. Those guys were a huge part of uh, Liberty Benton's 27-0 season. So uh you know, when you can go to the bench and there's not much drop off, I mean, that's a huge plus, especially when you're talking about uh, at the Division Four level. So, once again, uh, thank you to AJ Granger and uh, taking the time to uh, talk with us today. Um, <clears throat> to close this out, I was thinking about that team, and, um, you know, they were the first team to go undefeated in Division Four uh, since that got started in 1988. <clears throat> Excuse me. Obviously, uh, Columbus Worley won the first three there, 88, 89, and 90. And uh, those teams, like the 88 team at Worley was really good, 26 and 2. Uh, you're looking at uh, 91, St. Henry, uh, 26 and 1, outstanding team. Um, right after LB goes 27 and 0, two years later, Van Wert Lincoln View does the same thing at 27 and 0. And then you get uh, some teams there later. Um, let's see, you know, Columbus Afrocentric in 2005. They had to for forfeit that title. That was a heck of a team, though. Uh, South Webster in 06 uh, with Wagonger and Aldridge. They were 26 and 2. Uh, Georgetown was the next team to go undefeated. They went 28 0 in 2007. New Knoxville, who I think was. Um, in that conversation with Liberty Benton, uh, they finished 27-0. And, 
Uh, Dayton Jefferson, I know they didn't have a great record in 2010, but when you got uh, guys like Cody Latimer and Adrian Payne playing at the Division Four level, uh, both of those guys were pros in their respective sports. And then in 2011 and 2012, you had back-to-back titles by Berlin Highland. They were 27-1 and both seasons. Uh, personally, uh, I thought the 2011 team was better. Uh, they were both great, but I thought that team uh, size-wise could compete with anybody. Uh, VASJ in 2013, I think they had five D1 kids on that team. Um, Convoy Crestview uh, in 2014, one of my all-time favorite teams. People that know me know that. Uh, finished 29-0. and And then Tri-Village, who lost to Convoy, uh, the previous year, the next year, is the first team and only team, uh, Division Four to go 30-0. and uh, And then you had a, a really good cornerstone Christian team in 2016. Um, and then you had Lutheran East, Marion Local, uh, and then last year's Convoy Crestview team was 28-1. and uh, That team led by a very strong senior class uh, and a talented sophomore there in Kalen Etzler. So, you know, those are some of the great teams from the past in Division IV. Uh, again, a Division IV started in 1988, so I use that as a marking point. But, you know, it's just good uh, It's good water cooler talk. Uh, there's no doubt about it that Liberty Benton is in that conversation as one of the best Division IV teams of all time. There's no question about it. Everybody's going to have their opinion and viewpoint, and that's what makes sports great. Um, you know, when you can get together and just chop it up about past teams and who you think was the best, and uh, it's just a beautiful thing about sports. So, um, again, this was a tribute to uh, 95 Liberty Benton. Uh, we have one more left to go, Cleveland VASJ, and we have another special guest for you uh, when that episode drops. Uh, But until then, uh, stay safe, and uh, we'll see you next time.